One, two, one, two. Yo, check this out. It's the jump for right now. I want everybody to put your rope down. Put your guns down. And be poor to the pit. The gravel pit. Leave your problems at home. Leave your children at home. Before taking back underground. I be Bobby Bowden. Who take clear on your mind one time. So we're just going to sort of jump right in here. So uh, one of the things I wanted to open with was the obvious thing. Um, you and I are both soccer nuts, so tell me a little bit about your this year's World Cup experience for you. So I feel like my World Cup experience has changed um, since working at East Bay a little bit. I was always into World Cup. I, you know, my again, my brother kind of helped encourage me to start playing soccer. So. Um, once, you know, I think they started in 91 with the whatever was the predecessor to Women's World Cup. Um, but by the time it was 1999 and the women, the U.S. women won, you know, it was really exciting for me because, you know, it's per, it's the perfect age to be real interested in this. Um, but this year, you know, I'm an adult and, and a lot of these players are younger than me. And it's it was really exciting for me to see how, you know, they're both just athletes, but also, I mean, amazing ambassadors for women, American women, um, to the world. And I know that it's been a little shocking for some people to, you know, experience what they're saying. But um, for me, it's been really, you know, it's been really great. It, it's just, you know, kind of validates some of those feelings you had. Like, yeah, she's right. She should say this. She should say whatever she wants. She's badass. So that's. I was really excited, so it was really every game, you know, I had blocked up on my calendar, and there were a couple where I didn't want to be in public to watch, but, yeah. Right, okay. yeah, like which ones? <laughs> Spain, that oh, was a tough one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know what? It's good to have a little fear sometimes, right? Like, like you don't get to be perfect all the time, I guess, and you got to understand where your, um, where your uh, weaknesses are. Yeah, the Spain matches are always brutal because I was an exchange student in Spain for a year, so I consider ah. it I consider it sort of my second home. Like I still consider sure. my Spanish parents to be my parents and you know, things like that. Sure. And we still have a relationship and all that. And it's so it's I'm like, Oh, look at the draw, that sucks. You know? Yeah. But yeah. you know so I had a similar experience here with my I stayed in France um with a family there. So we right. kinda had some banter going back and forth. And I felt a little bad, you know, knocking them out in those quarterfinals. Um, oh. although that's what I wanted. <laughs> you still you know, oh, I'm sorry, Cecile. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so who did you have as your M V P? So I keep trying to think through this, and I don't think there's any way around it. I, I, Megan Rapinoe was obviously the MVP, um, but it was really great to see, you know, Wisconsin, right. Wisconsin's Rose Lavelle kind of come into her own. So it'll be really exciting to see where she goes and how she uses her skills and kind of hones that. Um, Alex Morgan is, you know, always a favorite. Um, but, you know, I I really like seeing, you know, Julia, it was great to watch. You know, I wish I wish you would have gotten a, a handle on the ball a little bit more. Um, but you know, that whole team, I think that's one of the things that really comes through, is that they're so good at passing and working together and knowing where they are. And so even when you saw Alex Morgan was injured, and I don't know how much slower she was, she was a little bit slower, right. but you could see her teammates knew where the ball was supposed to be. Um, so it just kind of is a testament to their ability to. Um, 
work as a team. So I don't know. It's probably a cop out to say the whole team is MVP, but I'm a big fan of right. every one of them. Yeah. So for me, it was you know like there were there were some moments early on that Rose Laval had just sort of up the middle stuff where I was like, she's a point guard. That's what's happening here. She's a point guard. And then I found, like, yeah, I had... a little frustrating, but... Right, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is, you know, some of that stuff was amazing. And then the second goal in the final was just so cool. But, uh, yes. you know, and then the other thing that uh, that sort of stood out to me was just how great the U.S. women's team is on social media. Mm-hmm. Like, the YouTube stuff is so amazing yeah i mean i i can't tell you how much i know about you know the harrys at this point (laughs) you know like i've watched i've watched all sorts of weird harry you know tobin heath and and oh god what's her name Allie krieger no not Uh, Allie krieger so um but yeah so like tobin heath and her and her best friend they call each other harry and it's just like the strangest sort of best friend thing to be playing out on a world stage. And I'm just like, this is great. Cause at one point there's a video um, somebody posted of a journalist trying to talk to them and they got into it. They spent like 12 minutes of this guy's or this woman's time arguing about Mario Kart. And it's not anywhere <laughs> so, near. Yeah. No, it's just one of those cool things about like, do you, you know, you know, if you've been on a team sport, like what you talk about on the bus, what you talk about in the locker room, how you kind of banter back and forth and kind of having that, that view of what's going on there is pretty awesome, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I was, I was really lucky. Uh, I had a, a long-term relationship with a, with a female athlete in college. And so it, it changed sort of my perspective and I've had lots of perspective changing experiences regarding women in my in my life and uh and so watching just watching the joy that they play with you know all i kept thinking was i i hope my niece gets to experience joy like that yeah you know because yeah i i mean i hope everybody gets to experience joy like that but i you know i i think most about my niece now because she's a nine-year-old girl and so mm-hmm. it's that thing where it's like, yeah, I want, I want young girls specifically to find that joy. I agree. And I think the cool thing, too, is that these women have inspired, I mean, not just little girls, but definitely little girls. But, you know, you're seeing little boys wearing their jerseys. You're right. seeing them look up to them as heroes. I think that is what we needed as a society is just like... They come in all shapes and sizes, men, women, all, you know, it's just, it's great to have options now. You can, you know, see, see what's next for you no matter what. Yeah, it's, it's funny because my, you know, my niece is, is able to connect, like I connect her with all of my friends. And so I have a friend, obviously I have a friend who's a professional skateboarder. And then I have a friend who's a UFC fighter, who's a woman. And, uh, and now she's she's currently in love with Alex Honnold's movie Free Solo and the the women's national team. So I think I'm doing Yay. I think I'm doing okay as an adult. God. You know, so I think so too. I, you know, next generation. Right. But we need to launch them into a world where they can 
admire anyone they want. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, so let's talk about running for mayor a little bit. Sure. I mean, we we could talk about soccer all night, but I kind yes. of think you're running for mayor and we should talk about it. So yeah, where did, where did you mayor. grow up? I grew up um, about two blocks from where I'm seated um, on Wausau's southeast side. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in Wausau. I've, I've been here, um, I guess, you know, I graduated from Wausau East. I went to University of Wisconsin-Marathon County and then to UWSP. And then I got, you know, I started working here and I got my master's degree at George Washington um, but I think a lot of what I've done is kind of centered around, you know, okay, Wausau's my home. Um, I've done a lot of traveling. I've spent substantial time in other places. Uh, but I always, you know, this is, this is home to me. Um, and I really want to see us grow um, as a community. And I mean that both, you know, growing the tax base with, with you know, smart growth businesses, but also, you know, develop um, develop a personality that is uniquely kind of Wassa. I think we we're starting to see some of what Wassa's personality can look like, um, and I want it to be a good one. Um, I think that's one of the things that I worked for on the company board is just kind of what do I want this community to value, um, and I think that's that's what I want to bring to Wassa, the executive, you know, seat in Wassa. So when did you grow up? Because I don't, I don't really even I... know. Yeah, I don't even know how old you are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So I'm 35. Um, so I graduated from high school in 2002. Um, yeah. So I grew up. You know, I'm a kid. And remember all of the 90s and early 2000s. All of the pop songs from I don't know about 1994 to 1999 are in my head somehow. So that. Anything like that turns on the radio, I will be able to sing along to everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then when did you when did you get your master's degree? Um, I got that when I was still working at Channel 9. Um, I graduated from George Washington in 2012. So I did most of it online, and at the end you kind of go and finish everything off. Yeah, my best friend's daughter is enrolling in the fall there. Yeah, as a, as a it's freshman. a good program. And I have to say, some of the people I connected with were really great um, and helpful. And the professors are, you know, people who are not just involved in politics, but also business, which it actually really helped me. And I was like, you know, maybe I do want to try working for business. What is that like? So it actually helped me a lot. Sure. So uh, who was the first mayor of Wasa you remember? Huh. I think that would have to be John Robinson. I think, I can't remember the year he was elected, but um, I do remember him. My dad, you know, <laughs> John Robinson grew up on the southeast side. Um, he and my dad were friends growing up, um, so he was always kind of in my life. So that's, he's the first mayor I remember. Um, and then, you know, I kind of have sketchy memories of, of all kind of that in-between stuff between him and Linda Lawrence, um, you know, Hess. Schaefer, all of that stuff. I, I probably don't have the best memory of it, but yeah. Then I remember Linda Lawrence. She was probably the first mayor that I voted for, and I think I actually campaigned for her. I remember, I remember um, knocking on some doors and dropping off lit for her campaign. That's cool. Yeah. Um, for me, it was 
uh, it was John as well, but it was because John's mom, Nancy rented, she rented for my parents and the house on Emerson street that we used to live in. So it's, uh, there's Pat's house and then there's the house to the right. And then the next one, the white one. I think it's white. Yeah, it's it's a big giant house, two story house. Does it have like a Does it have like a porch on the top yep. too? Yep. Oh, huh. Yeah, that's the house I grew up in. I did not know that. Yeah, and my cousin Brian grew up on Ethel Street. Hmm. So yeah, that was so many Southeast Side connections. There might be a conspiracy out there. Yeah, it really. Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> they. It was. Yeah, it was where you know I grew up and there was like the the people next to us were the treptos and this older lady named mary lived on the other side and yeah it was it was great you know 20 inch bike time and you know just essentially running right there yeah the quick trip was not there so (laughs) i don't remember what was i don't have any sense of sort of beyond the cemetery like i don't i never went sort of across the street i always went backwards towards Towards yeah. where Brian lived in Ethel Street and stuff like that, hanging out at yeah. ski, ice skating at John Marshall, and you know, going to airport oh, yeah. park and playing tennis and, and all of that sort of stuff. Count countless hours of hitting the tennis ball against the wall <laughs> at airport park. So yeah, but yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit, or tell me a little bit about how, because you know you started off in news and then yeah, but then. There is there a transition point, or did the sort of two streams run parallel? Of you know your normal, we'll just say your professional yeah. life, and then your political engagement. Yeah. So I mean, growing up with my dad, I I wasn't interested in politics because he was. I mean, he would take me to various things. I remember going to some debate at one point. I don't even know what it was about, but I was with him. Um, but. You know, I was always interested in that, and so it was always one of those kind of simmering things. And I, and I think that I feel really lucky that that's something that he gave to me was that interest in politics. Um, but you know, when I went to school, I thought that I would want to teach. Um, I was super interested in philosophy. I still am, um, and religious studies, especially as an aspect of that. And so, you know, I got to point, and I'm like, all right, this is, you know, this is step one. I'm going to get my bachelor's degree, and um, then, you know, maybe I'll figure out, you know, where I want to go to school next and all of that stuff. So I was talking to my um, advisor at the time, who is the chair of the philosophy department, and he's like, okay, so you want to teach? Cool. We have this awesome uh, class. That's, you know, it's a one-credit class, and, you know, we usually have somebody who's, you know, really good at philosophy, you have them kind of student teaching it. You meet once a week, and, you know, these people write a paragraph. You, you know, do a little extra reading, whatever. So I was like, cool. I would love to be in charge of that. So I was really excited. You know, you get a little stipend for this. It was really neat. Um, it's like after week three, I was like, oh, no, I can never teach. Because these are, these are college students who they have the option of taking this class, and they will not even write a paragraph. And, like, Every it, it blew my mind. I was like, I'm writing a 25-page paper for like three other classes, and you can't write a paragraph. So I was really impatient and frustrated. And I, you know, I talked to my advisor, and I was like, This is terrible. He's like, Oh <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. So I was like, I don't 
I don't think this is my thing. And she's like, well, you might want to not get credentialed then in teaching. You know, it's some classes you don't have to take. I was like, done, cancel all of it. So, you know, I graduated in 2006 with a degree in philosophy. Um, and, like, definitely no interest in teaching it. <laughs> um, so, got a job. Um, I actually worked on Dave Obie's campaign um, that year. Um, so, to kind of finish off the year, uh, he was running against, oh my gosh, Nick Reed, does that yep. sound like 2006? Yep. So, um, you know, every time he ran, I mean, it's a lot like what we're seeing now with Sean Duffy. <laughs> you know, you just, you end up with these people who are in office, and it's really not a contest at all. Um, right. And especially for someone like a Dave Opie, you know, he, that was the year he became chair of appropriations and all of that. So it was, I mean, he was getting so much money, you know, DCCC, all of that. And, and, there were some moments when I'm like driving my little county to drop off signs. I'm like, and talk to some Democratic meeting. Like, I wonder why they've always trust me to talk to these people about what he believes. And it's just weird. Um, you know, campaigns don't last forever. No. So I, I, um, and it's kind of a weird transition. Um, in high school, I had worked at Channel Nine as a floor crew person. Okay. And they were looking for a producer. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, I would like a full-time job, maybe with a retirement plan or something like that. Um, so I applied for that. And, you know, they remembered me, and they knew I, they already knew a little bit about me, you know, dependable, whatever, interested, obviously interested in, in news. So they gave me a shot. Um, I'm so, I don't know, thankful <laughs> to Randy Winter, who was the news director at the time, who hired me and gave me a shot because it was – I. I you know, I was up against people who majored in journalism and whatever, and here I am just like this person with an interest um, and, you know, like a good attendance record. So um, I'm lucky. But it was it was a tough transition. You know, I I learned a ton from people like Morris Langben, Eric Brotek, Pam Warnke, you know, all these people who were like capital J journalist types. Um, so it really, like, it was a mindset shift, you know, stopping the political thing, um, from taking over and it was, it was tough. Um, but you get, you get to it at some point, you know, I have friends who are still journalists and you wonder like, how can you write about what's going on without going crazy? And it's like, well, it's your job. You have to. Um, but I would say when, when, when Scott Walker was elected and there was the big recall stuff and all the teacher protesting, you know, I'm married to a teacher and my livelihood is at stake. And that was one of those moments when I was like, oh, my gosh, I really I have to rethink what I'm doing. I don't I don't see myself going further in this field when I am filled with these kinds of emotions. So that's when I decided to apply for graduate school and, you know, think about what I want to do. Like I was thinking PR. Um, so that was kind of the directive. So when I had the opportunity to to work at East Bay, I was really I was ready. I, I needed to be out of news, I think. Yeah, it's it's funny because i think you know once i was i was in my head thinking about uh somebody told me a story when i first got into politics about how um you, sh you should say no you shouldn't do it because democrats have no boundaries and once you say yes to the first campaign if they know you you're you're going to say yes they'll keep asking you for everything after that sure. and, and to be honest i'm like oh god that's true you know like 
working for Feingold, and I'm like, okay, so this is never going to end. You know, when he stopped, it was like, okay, so now we're going to do this, and now we're going to do that, and it's never going to stop. And then I was lucky because I, I went to work for Lon at Family Planning and got to work on one specific advocacy issue for a decade. And mm-hmm. uh, and I was, you know, Lon's directive was, you know, well, you know, when you're off the clock, you have to help everybody else. And I'm like, okay, great. Sure. And so it, it was like, yep, I'll help Donna and I'll help everybody who runs against Duffy. And I'll, you know, and it, it became this sort of two-pronged thing where I was working nationally for Lon and then working for candidates as well. And it was, it was great, but at the same time, it was exhausting. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like I finished up with, with family planning with a different executive director after 12 years. And, uh, and then I went to work for the Brico fund and did a two year project for, for WEAC as a partner with Brico. And it, at the end of it, I'm like, oh my God, I just have to stop because it's just not. And then I was also writing speeches for candidates and I'm like, this is just, I have, I have to stop. And I took a bunch of months off and I met, um, the CEO of East Bay. What, what's his name? VJ? Is that his name? Uh, the, the local guy? Oh, so I guess VJ was kind of doing the, between the, the bigger picture kind of strategy stuff. Yeah. So um, I, but you also have Shree. Yeah. So I met VJ through Mark Craig. And we oh, were, yeah. And we were just talking, and Mark is like, Dino's exhausted. And so then it just sort of spun out from there. And he's like, why don't you just come and work here? And I'm like, okay. And I, like, I had very <laughs> specific criteria. I'm like, I have to be done at three o'clock. Whatever it is I'm going to do, I have to stop at three o'clock because sure. I, I have a niece. And if my brother, if Mario needs me to pick her up from school, I have to do that. And so, yeah. And so it was, what's nice is now I, you know, after three o'clock, I do strategy work for candidates and I work for, and I, and I write for candidates as well. And, uh, and that's great, but I, it's also a lot less, sort of intense for me because I'm not sleeping in hotels and stuff. Like I watched, I was in Utah when Trump won. Like I, I was, I had been on the road for almost that entire campaign. And uh, yeah. And I was in Utah. I just, that was where I just happened to be. And so we sat at some county party thing and watched that happen. And I'm like, wow, this is brutal. So yeah. But anyway, sorry. So no, yeah. So why did you run? Why are you running for mayor? Specifically, why are you running for mayor? Yeah. So I am running for mayor because I think that we have so much opportunity um, to become what we should, like to actualize ourselves as a city. But I don't think that we're taking the steps necessary to get there. I think, you know, I've talked a lot about strategic planning. I really believe in the power of a strategic plan and putting that out there. Um, but I also think that leadership is really important. Um, I think that I think that City Hall, City Council, you know, like there has been kind of a different kind of leadership there. And it's not really, you know, we are really ben- we've benefited from seeing strong leaders in business, right? And I'm not saying run city hall like a business, but I'm just saying 
kind of those key tenets of leadership, um, is, it's really important. And I think that when you look at a city hall and some of the, some of the stories you have coming out, um, some of it points to, you know, just a need for some strong leadership. You know, I'm a professional manager at this point. Like, that's what I do. You know, I've gone through all of these different programs. I think that, I think that it's time to kind of deploy some of that, um, to work for our community. So do you think that, you know, because when I was thinking about that question, I was wondering if there's another way to, to be as impactful in Wausau and I couldn't, and I couldn't come up with a way, but I mean, you know, as far because it sounds like, like I've read, you know, everything you've said and stuff like that. And there's a big component of it, you know, while you're talking about management and strategic plan, I also think, you know, some of it touches on this desire to be a servant, you know, sort of a public servant. And I, and it's, so it's that thing where I'm like, well, could she be a public servant in some other way? Yeah. You know, I think so. And, you know, one of the things I've gotten to know people a little bit better um, from being on county board, but also, you know, working in business, um, you you have a lot of opportunity um, to impact things on, on the boards you're a part of. Um, so, like, I'm really lucky to be a part of the Community Foundation Board. I mean, that's those are some big decisions some days. It's really great. Um, but I think that when I... When I'm looking at Wausau in 2030, I want to be able to say, okay, not only was I, you know, I kind of changed the leadership style at City Hall, I was able to enact a strategic plan, you know, that the community has told me they want, like these are the priorities of the community. But I also want to say, okay, this I have um, cultivated good relationships with um you know, our neighboring community leaders, uh, you know, talking regionally. I mean, we're, we're talking about that in business all the time, regionalization. We're talking about that on, um, you see it with, you know, WEDC even. You're seeing, you're seeing this shift towards instead of being, you know, one, your only thing, like thinking a little bit beyond yourself and how you can leverage those relationships a little bit better. I would love to see us be a little bit more, um, I don't want to say lobbying, but there's an element of lobbying um, kind of take a leadership role in some of those budget discussions that are happening in Madison. And even federally, it would be great to have somebody that says, hey, this budget matters because of this, this, and this. You know, I've written to my legislators um, when I see something happening that I think will affect the county negatively or positively. Um, and I, I just, I guess I'd like to see a little bit more of that coming out of City Hall and you know, being able to work together with different units of government. Yeah. So how's the campaign been so far? It's, I, I feel weird. It's been good. Um, it's, I know that people are looking at me differently now, so I'm kind of like, Ooh, am I supposed to behaving, you know, changing how I act and like how I dress. And, um, you know, I bought like a, a suit and, you know, I haven't worn it yet because <laughs> I, I'm super uncomfortable in it. And sure. I'm like, Is this going to be my life wearing this suit? You know, and I show up to various things dressed how I, you know, I'm in sneakers all day at work. That's what we do. So I'm just trying to figure that stuff out. Um, but 
as far as talking about ideas, it's been really great. I've had good reception. Um, I've had a couple people ask me, you know, well, why aren't you talking about this issue or that issue? And then I'm like, well, why am I not? You know, I didn't know that that was something that people wanted to hear about. So I'm definitely like I'm in research mode now, too. So, yeah, it's I can, been yeah. great, actually. Yeah, your Twitter feed just reflects that. Oh, yeah. So some of the stuff, you know, I am pretty good about being able to sleep, but there's some moments yeah, no, when I just... you're really not. I don't think you are. I think, <laughs> I think you're lying to yourself. Okay. <laughs> well, I, you know, often like, we'll eat dinner and then maybe watch something on TV and right. I will fall asleep. Right. For, I mean, like hardcore sleeping on the couch, dreaming, all of these things. And then, you know, Dave will wake me up at one in the morning and like, hey, you should probably sleep in the bed. Like, oh, you're right. I should do that. But then I'm up for a little bit, and I'm like, oh, what about this? What about that? So, you know, I have a book where I'm writing this stuff down, but sometimes I can't wait. I'm like, what about that development agreement, which is a really dumb thing to think about at one yes. in the morning. But, yes. You know. That was, a, that was a very deep hole at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, but I couldn't stop. I mean, that right. was like an hour and a half of, like, digging into it. Yeah, that but was that was know. one of those, you know, I got up in the morning, and I'm like, because I, I have a Wausau list, and I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? You know? Because yeah. before, before you even realize what you're tweeting about, it's like, that's a lot of tweets. And then you do the math, and you're like, that's a lot of tweets for one in the morning. You know? I know. And going back and making sure that I don't seem like a crazy yeah, – I'm, I'm actually not really a crazy person. Um, so it's it hasn't been so bad. Yeah. For, it, it seems really yeah. sort of bursty. You know, sort of between the big ideas for the municipality and mm -hmm. the philosophy stuff from, I don't even know how to say that, Ion? Aeon? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Aeon? Yeah. Because, yeah, you got me started on that, and that's sort of reading before I go to bed every night, and it's like, okay, yeah. I oh, can, yeah, that's fun stuff. Right. I can see how that's really cool. So, yeah. So, have some cool videos, too, if you yeah. are looking for videos or little clips, yeah. Yeah. So... So then, just because I'm a campaign nerd, how big is your kitchen cabinet support system? <laughs> okay. Two of the things that stressed me out and stressed me out because, you know, I'm like, oh, I need to have a person that represents this interest and that interest oh, and this interest. Oh, I'm so you know, sorry. like, I need to get them all together at one time. And, like, as I started trying to do this, I'm like, oh, this is between their schedule, schedule this is never going to happen. Oh, no. So, um, I would say that I have um, people who are influencers um, that I would probably put them in my kitchen cabinet, uh, but I can't schedule it um, to get us all together. Um, so I have, a, I have a pretty small core of people, you know, that kind of keep me sane. I, you know, I, I gave up and I hired a campaign manager working full time and then, you know, trying to also do all the research that I want to do, but also like actually doing campaign stuff. Um, I mean, even working as well sort of name on it, it was impossible. It took me like three weeks and finally I was like, all right, I'm hiring someone to do this. Um, so she's kind of been whipping everyone else into, in to help me. But I would say probably that core group, one, two, maybe five or six. I mean, those are the people I'd probably talk to every day. Um, but then it's kind of a wider circle of people that, you know, are good at understanding, you know, business climate, for instance, you know, I feel pretty good about that, but you know, my, my time in business is 
much more limited when you compare it to someone who else who's been involved forever or who knows lots more. Sure. You know, it's just a, it's a matter of like who do you trust and then who do you want to talk to and why are these people talking to you? So it's like weird getting information, being kind of paranoid, but also just like trying to be your authentic self all the time. It's very strange. Yeah, that's it's funny because as as somebody who's done this, I it's you described a kitchen cabinet differently than I do as a professional. And so that yeah. was that was interesting because like the the model that we work off of is seven people that you trust first. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. off of that, you know, you develop sort of, you know, like you're saying the stakeholders. But it's always mm-hmm. like the kitchen cabinet model that I've you we've all used for years is sort of you know, people who can look at you and go, yeah, you've gone off the rails and you and yeah. you don't feel threatened by person X going, what the fuck are you doing, Katie? Mm-hmm. You know, that's really important. Yeah. Like that, you know, I, I think there've been some really great kitchen cabinets on the Southeast side. Like Mandy had a gr- absolutely amazing group of people the first time she went. And I was like, wow, that is a really cool mm-hmm you know, manifestation of that model. And so it was, yeah. and then, but at the same time when you, you can watch, like I've watched candidates locally who got it horribly wrong. Like Bankstead had nobody mm-hmm. just who had no, nobody? Kirk Bankstead. Remember he ran against Duffy. Oh yeah. Before, yeah. We, before we literally, I can claim that I blew him up, but, um, oh, boy, it's okay. It was all right. We Great did, singer. We did, uh, Great singer. Yes. Wonderful singer. Were you there when he sang at the Marathon County Democratic Gala thing? Yeah. Oh, that was, that was like Andy had asked. I know, it was weird. Andy had asked me to write a, a specific speech for that night. And so I did. And I, Andy looked at it and he thought it was okay. And Kirk looked at it. And so we locked that speech up like two weeks beforehand. The day of Kirk pulled out a pad of paper and he's like, I'm going to start writing my speech. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're really not. The speech is done. All you have to do is stand there and read it. And uh, and he didn't. (laughs) And that was he also used he said the line in front of the Clinton staffer and in front of the Feingold staffer, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton and Russ Feingold don't care about Marathon County. And they all oh, looked. They all looked at me, and I'm like, I didn't write that. That wasn't me, you know. And so then, just a couple of days later, we sort of leaned on Kirk to sort of end the campaign because it was falling apart. But yeah, so I think kitchen cabinets are absolutely like I. I literally won't help a candidate unless they can introduce me to their kitchen cabinet because without one, like Margaret Engelbretson at one point said to me, I don't have any friends. I'm like oh dear god oh. okay um. yeah and you know what there is there is this kind of i don't know i i'm kind of dealing with my inner control freak sure and i can understand why you would want to say you know what, i'm just gonna do this myself because i know myself the best obviously and like i trust my own writing and all of this stuff like oh my gosh this is gonna go off on a tangent right sure now. but like today for instance my campaign facebook page you know i posted I posted something and you know, it's a couple paragraphs long and it has a graph on it. And you oh, know, yeah. like, I really stand behind the things that I said, you know, like, I think it's important that this is an issue that I care about. And then my campaign manager posted something 
um, later this evening, and it, it is literally two sentences, and both of those sentences end in exclamation points, and, you know, it's totally not how I write, and I'm, and I saw it, and I was like, wow, I mean, like, I want to edit it and all of that, and I was like, just leave it, like, it's, it's much more engaging to the people. They like our stuff better. And I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to live with it, right? Like, like there's an element of marketing of yourself that other people can do for you that's better than you can do for yourself. Yes. So. Yes, there really, I, really I, is. I understand. I know why you want to keep it to yourself. But, yeah, when I decided, like, when I wasn't sleeping so much, I was like, I need, I need help. And there's a reason I need help. And this person is skilled in this, you know, avenue. So yeah. I'll just get it done. It's it's fun because I always, you know, we talk about candidates during the the sort of candidate development stage of, you know, I'm thinking about running. Can you come and talk to me stage? Mm-hmm. And it's OK, look, it's you're going to feel incredibly unsafe during this period of your life. It's oh, it's there's, horrible. There's no way you're not you're you're there's no way you're going to feel safe. And so you need to have seven people who make you feel safe. And because without yeah. them, I mean, like, without them, you, the level of fear that you can, can you, you can swallow and internalize is damaging. I mean, running for any office is damaging unto itself. But, you know, running for office by yourself is, is brutal, you know, so. Yeah. And even just having somebody, you know, I obviously haven't done a lot of door knocking for this campaign, but to have somebody go with you, right? it's much better. I mean, just, it's just much better. And, you know, if somebody says something mean, you've got somebody immediately to blow off steam. And really, no one's saying anything mean. There's like, oh, yeah, okay, sounds fine. Yeah. In general, I think, like, doors, people are always like, doors are going to be terrible. And I'm like... Yeah, they can, eh. but they're not really because face to face people are, I think, are inherently polite. You know. Yeah, and there's a midwestern kind of right. aversion to mega co- confrontation, so we're yeah. lucky in that way, at least for now. Yeah, but yeah, Nate, I I always Nate Mishka and I always like to talk about the amount of doors that we did together. I'm like, God, <laughs> we knocked on doors for five or six candidates all over this damn state and then we knocked on him for him too when when he ran for assembly so yeah it was i think doing doors is is one of the coolest things and i and i don't do it do it anymore because it's not what i do on campaigns but you know i i always think you're right with with a pair of people that's always better so yeah that's cool so you're on a few boards here in town like you talked about you're on the community foundation board so how how is that how is being on boards, nonprofit boards, changed how you see town? Yeah. So one of the things that's super interesting, and, you know, you get a different view of things depending on which board. You know, every board has its own kind of flavor. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of stuff from, you know, Festival of Arts to Library Board. I'm still on that. Um, to, you know, this, this current stint with um, the Community Foundation. And, you know, I think that sometimes boards are kind of their own self-fulfilling prophecy. You kind of have people that maybe think similarly and, and, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I have never actually recruited for these boards. So going to the community foundation was really, I was really excited. Like five years ago, like I would have begged and begged and begged to be on this board. And now this year, you know, when they asked me to be a part, I was like, Oh my gosh, 
yes, I want to. And But, you know, like only I knew that I was planning on running for mayor right. at that point. And I was like, but is this a crazy time to do this? You know, I talked to one of my friends who's also on that board, and he's like, no, you know what? It'll be good for you, especially because, you know, you know a lot about the good you can do with government um, and the government funding. But this is one of those boards where you kind of get a peek at how businesses are being philanthropic and individuals with means and things like that. And, you know, you have to make some decisions in that way. And, and also it's actually pretty pretty intense when you talk about the investing side of it. It wasn't That wasn't something I was learning. I was assuming that I would learn. Um, but it's actually really interesting to learn, you know, their strategy when it comes to investing um, for these uh, funds. So it act, it's been really great, and it gives you just a different view of what the community's priorities are. I mean, obviously, if you're going to start a fund for something, it's a priority that you care about and you want to see it get done. You know, we saw from things, everything from, you know, the park in my neighborhood to, you know, maybe scholarship funds and things like that. And it really kind of gives you a different idea of what people think are the most important things. Yeah, I bet it's it just seems like such a cool thing. And I'm terribly mm-hmm. jealous of the library board that just seems like the greatest board in the entire <laughs> world. Well, I'm sure there'll be an opening soon. Yeah. I mean, eventually. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So, all right. So let's, you know, the next thing on the list of questions was specifically about strategic planning. So obviously, yeah. you, I'm going to guess you and I are both strategic planning nerds. and uh, But I don't know that I've ever considered what goes into a strategic plan for a municipality. So how does it, how does a strategic plan for a municipality, how do you see that? Yeah. So I think first of all, one of the things that is interesting is, you know, I've been talking for whatever reason, like, I guess I just came out strongly. Like this is the first thing I said as a candidate that we need a strategic plan. And then, you know, I went to this conference um, in Minneapolis and I talked to some other mayors and I was even more, like, hit. I was like, oh, my gosh, we need a strategic plan. So I've been saying these things. And now all of a sudden, like, the city, I was at the last week's city council meeting, and they're like, oh, how does this tie into our comprehensive oh. plan and stuff like that? Yeah, it's interesting because because now I think it's causing people to think, yeah, you know, we do need a plan. Um, but what they do have is a, a comprehensive plan, and that's because it's required by law. You know, it's one of those things that kind of uh, talks about the – uh, you know, your, your parking and, you know, you have these very, I think there are nine different attributes that you have to consider for this, this comprehensive plan. But, you know, when I look at that stuff, it's more of a series of tactics or it's more like stating the facts, right? You're right. Like, this is what we do. It's not looking ahead. It's not saying this is where I want to be in 2040. Um, it can be some comprehensive plans are that way. But for a strategic plan, you know, you really want to start with the goals and you have a mission and vision. So I think that's what I would want to start with. And especially like when we talk about like a comprehensive plan is a, is a function of the government. I want the strategic plan to be a function of the people. So one of the things you do right away is you hold listening sessions, town halls, like what are, what are the most important things to you? And you'll hear all kinds of different things. Um, and obviously you want it professionally facilitated so you don't have any you know, weird stuff going on, but you'll hear all kinds of things that are unexpected. Um, and maybe, maybe it's just unexpected for me to hear normal people talking about poverty, you know, but that's one of the things that popped up multiple times just in my conversation about this. So you start to think, okay, I would have missed that. I would have missed that. You know, you want to make sure that you're hitting the right things. Um, 
So when I think about strategic plan, I want to start with the goals. And I'm, you, know, you do want to revisit WASA's mission and vision um, and make sure that those goals are meeting that. But also just making sure that the people are involved here and you're building, you know, your comprehensive plan shouldn't be the tactics that, that feed into your strategic plan. And, you know, not every city has one. I know that it's not abnormal. It seems crazy to me that you wouldn't want one. But, you know, like the city of Austin, I think a decade ago didn't have a strategic plan. So, you know, they elected a bunch of new people to their, their council, and they're like, we got to do this. And what they've seen is that by enacting the strategic plan and, like, focusing on that and making sure you have goals and measures, they're, they're blowing up. I mean, everyone wants to be in Austin. You can't even live there anymore. You know, it's one of those things. So that's kind of what I want to see. I want to, I want to see people living in Wasabo. I don't want to make people feel like they can't live here. Sure. I think that's going to be a big part of it. Yeah, it's it's super rewarding for me to hear you talk about it because I'm a part of the WILD program, the Wisconsin Leadership Development Program, and we, yeah. te- we teach organizers and one, we teach Marshall Ganz's sort of method for putting together strategic mm-hmm. plans and strategic plans, you know, strategy versus tactics and how that all works and, you know, your resources and assets and challenges and, you know, how to write a mission statement and how to write a strategic directive. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's super fun because there's, and the other part of that is there are a bunch of kids. I'm going to, Oh shit. There are a bunch of 20 somethings that have, that we have recruited from Wausau that have gone through the program on more, like there is, there are two Hmong men, young men who are on (laughs) our core team. And so they're leaders of the leadership development program. And so, you know, seeing this work and, you know, watching what my friend Dan has has put together, it's it's super rewarding. And at the same time, it's so frustrating. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been around a long time. I'm an old, old man now. And uh, like I, I remember sitting down with the current mayor and saying, look, let let me bring in some people who can help you put together a strategic plan. And he's like, well, I don't even, you know, he roughly said, I don't know what that is and I don't know why we would need it. And so I, I spent a couple of months just trying to convince him what it was for. And I, you know, and I, and I came away just incredibly frustrated And, and obviously, you know, he was too, and we don't talk anymore and that's fine. But like every person that I've I've helped get on the Wasa City Council, I've explained the value of a strategic plan, even if it's just defensively, even if there is nothing more than, you know, responding to Chris Filtz or Mark Hadley on Facebook. <laughs> if you have a strategic plan, it explains why and how decisions are made. And it's not a secret and it's not reactive. And so you're, yeah. you know. You can point I back to big thing. It feels like, and you know, when you're looking into finding these documents, and you can't find them, and right. it's frustrating. And it feels like, well, obviously there's a plan for something because stuff is happening. There's you know, businesses being moved, and there's TIF money being moved around, and like like there's stuff happening that seems to be leading to a specific end, but if that end is never communicated it's tough to like get buy-in. I mean, obviously when, when you walk down to the riverfront park, like that is 
freaking awesome. Right. Like, that park is awesome. But, like, what got us there, when, when you look at the price tag and when you look at some of the other stuff, like, you just want to make sure, like, are those the right decisions being made? Is this the right time? You know, not everything can happen all at once. I mean, not to be boring, but, like, debt is a thing that we should probably worry a little bit about. Yeah. I don't know. I It makes me a little anxious when I... Oh, my, that's a bad place for a, for a cut. I apologize. Uh, the recording software just simply stopped. You know, we were talking about uh, the strategic plan for, for the city and, and how municipalities do that. And, and you think that's really sort of one of the core things, right? Yeah, I think that's super important. And, you know, again, when I think about strategic planning, I just really want to make sure that the community is involved um, at, at the beginning level. Because if we're all working on things that nobody cares about, then what's the point? Um, and, you know, you have to take a little bit of it. Um, you do have to kind of focus the discussions a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that we've, we're going to hear the same kinds of things. You know, people are looking for things for families, but, you know, they're also looking for stuff for teenage kids to do. Um, and, you know, what is the role of government in all of this? You know, that's one of the things you have to figure out, but that's where those Again, strategic plan, you figure out, okay, where are my strategic partnerships then when you think about, is that a nonprofit entity? Is that, you know, a connection that needs to be made somewhere? Is that a business? I don't know. Um, so I just, I think that will lead us to the right kinds of answers. Um, yeah. And I like that the recording stopped us when I started talking about debt because um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, you hear a lot about around election time, and then right. you don't hear a lot about it later because it's no fun to work on those projects. Right, um, unless you're like, unless you're Keen Winters, right? Yeah, but you know what? Um, he's kind of an interesting cat, and policy-wise, I think he was onto a couple of things. Right. Um, but when you look at some of the savings that you can make, like even you know when I was talking about the the stuff we did with the library, right? You know, we're saving tens of thousand dollars a month, even. Yeah. Just from we changed like the the business um, the business manager at the library literally went on Amazon ordered like conversion kits for the for the light fixtures and then was able to swap out all of those. I mean it was it was less than six thousand dollars to swap out all of those light bulbs to LED. Yeah. And now we're saving so much money. And then when you see that graph really drop, it's because the peak uh, electricity use is lowered, lowered, lowered. So it's one of those things that not only do you save money now, like you continue to save money. It's great. Um, yeah. So I would love to save money on stuff like that. It, it, having accountants in your life is kind of interesting. So yeah. Keep them around. <laughs> yeah. I got I got one of the keen emails recently, and none of this is going in the podcast, but uh, about, you know, the, the debt topping $200 million and the sort of yeah. in the immediate future. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I what I did is yeah. – I immediately called your dad and I'm like, what the hell does this yeah. mean? Like, what are, what do these words mean? Because, you yeah. know, he's just, his level of nerd, nerdery about that stuff is mm -hmm. sort of comprehensive. So, you know, yeah. yeah. And so that was fun, but no, okay. It's good. Yeah. It's good to have those people around kind right. of, I don't know. A lot of the things that I see, you know, it's easy when somebody says something that is the opposite of what you say or think it's easy to think, oh, well, they just don't like me. This is just politics. This right. is just that. You know, and, and you know, there's some of that, 
but also sometimes having that conversation gets you to a better place. Right. Um, not always, but like when we're talking about stuff like debt, that that is where you need to have those discussions and you need to have those disagreements because that's a top, you're not going to offend anybody <laughs> talking about debt. Like, but I think about damaging conversations, we had some damaging conversations about Pride Month. Um, you know, you're talking about people, but when you're talking about debt, like that's where you have those discussions. Right. It should be robust. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So back to it. So um, let's talk about sort of if, if you win or when you win, what are the, what's, what are the first things that, that you do? What are the, you know, they always talk about the first hundred days. So what are the, what yeah. are the first three things? Yeah. So the first 90 days, I think is what I put it as, because I was thinking, well, oh, first three months, um, I definitely want to commit, you know, if were I to win, I would want to commit um, to having those town halls and identifying those priorities. I think the other thing is, um, you know, the city council, um, I think one of the things that the current mayor has um is very proud of is, you know, how well they get along. <laughs> so I think I, yeah. So I think one of the things is also making sure to cultivate relationships with the people who are on city council. Um, and, you know, think about those priorities that they ran on and they want to consider because that's going to be really important. I mean, it's so important to have somebody championing stuff. It can't just all come from the mayor's office, right? Like that doesn't work. It can't just, it can't all come from people who are full-time at City Hall either. Like, that's the, those are the people executing it, but um, those priorities really need to come from outside. So that's that's what I want, is to get those town halls, get, you know, those facilitated, those meetings, and I want to understand what are the city's priorities, what are the, what are the population, you know, the community. That's what I want to know. So start stitching that together. I don't know, I think having a whole strategic plan done in three months is probably a little crazy, but I'd be willing to give it a shot. Um, but I would guess that that first year is when you'd really start to see that coming out. And I think it makes sense to maybe unveil it around the same time as the budget, just thinking about how you fund things. Um, that plan um, will be very informed by the budget. So, Yeah, okay, good. So then if people want to get more information about your campaign, where can we send them? Yeah, so I do have a website, uh, rosenbergforwasa.com. Um, I have a Facebook page, same same thing. Um, as you know, I'm all over the place on social media. Um, so I have my own personal Twitter and Instagram and all that. So that's often you can find me tweeting um, about stuff too. So everywhere, you know, my phone, my email's there. I'm listed everywhere. It's I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Cool. So how many weeks? Oh my gosh! I was going to check if thirty-seven weeks was correct or not, and I didn't. I, I, I think I it's I think down. it's thirty-seven or thirty-six. I think it's I think okay. I'm close within two weeks. So yeah. Yeah. So it's two hundred and sixty-six days. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, that's until the general. If there's a primary, I haven't really been calculating that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think that'll be a problem. So, all right. Cool. So hey, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thank you. Shall in shadow boxing. And the Wu-Tang sword style. If what you say is true, the Shaolin and the Wu-Tang could be dangerous. Do you think your Wu-Tang sword can defeat me? On guard, I'll let you try my Wu-Tang style. Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the mother, bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the motherfucking ruckus! 
Ghost face, catch the blast of a hype burst. My clock burst, leaving a hearse. I did worse. I come rough, jump like an elephant tusk. Your head rush, fly like Egyptian musk. Oh shit, we take clear spark the wixen. However, I'm master the trick just like Nixon. Causing terror, quick damage your whole era. Hard rocks is locked the fuck up. I found shot, yellow style. Cause I wreck this dangerous I blow spots like Waco, Texas I watch my back like I'm locked down Hardcore hitting sound Watch me act bulk and tear down A little bit tight asshole Songs going gold, no doubt And you watch your corny nigga fall Yeah, they faking all that Carrying gats with your mind playing Rolling like 40 max Now you act convinced I guess it makes sense Wu-Tang, yo, soo Represent I wait for one to act up Now I got him backed up Gun to his neck now React what? And that's one in the chamber Wu-Tang banger 36 styles of danger Bring the motherfucking ruckus Bring the motherfucking ruckus I roll with groups of ghetto bastards with biscuits Check it, my method on the microphone's banging Wu-Tang slang, I leave your headpiece hanging Bust this, I'm kicking like Seagull out with justice The roughness, just the rudeness, ruckus Red rum, I'm early assault with the tongue Murder one, my style shocks you not like a stun gun I'm hectic, I wreck it with the quickness Set it on the microphone, and competition get blown While this nasty ass nigga with my nigga The RZA, charged like a bull and got Slave man boots, new recruits. I'm fucking up MC troops. I break loops and trample shit while I stomp. A mud hole in that ass, cause I'm straight out the swamp. Creeping up on sight, now it's fright night. My Wu Tang slang is mad fucking dangerous and more deadly than the stroke of an axe. Chopping through your back, giving bystanders heart attacks. Niggas trying to flip, tell me who is them. I blow up this fucking prism, make it a vicious act of terrorism. You wanna bring it, so fuck it. Come on and bring the rockets. Then I provoke niggas to kick buckets. I'm wetting cream, I ain't wetting fame. Who's selling game? I'm giving out a deadly game. It's not the Russian, it's the Wu-Tang crushing roulette Slip up, you get fucked like Suzette Bring the fucking rockets Bring the motherfucking rockets 